Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. What's most important about life? Mark chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Reading the story of the man known as the rich young ruler, he usually becomes the focus of the story, of course. But in this series of studies, we're looking at the apostle Peter as he followed Jesus on that journey to a cross in Jerusalem and beyond. So we want to notice his reaction, Peter's reaction to what went on at the meeting, his response to what was happening. Because we're in this series which is following Jesus to the cross and beyond, but we're following one step behind, following by putting our feet in Peter's footsteps. And he often seems to, one step, to be one step behind or to put his foot in it. And I suppose that's one reason that I identify with him. Because yes, Peter has a good heart, but he often doesn't seem like the sharpest knife in the drawer. And that can give the rest of us some hope. When we try and figure out what it means to follow and be a disciple of Jesus, like he did. We use the word disciple here at Ivy more than some other churches may perhaps. Instead, you might hear there about coming to church or being a member or even a Christian, becoming a Christian. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. Christians only found three times as a description usually of what other people called the disciples of Jesus, rather than what they themselves call themselves. The New Testament is a book about Jesus and his disciples, written by disciples for disciples to know how to follow Jesus Christ. 
The late great theologian Dallas Willard says the word means to become a learner, a constant apprentice, a student, a practitioner, even if you're only just getting started. And if we are disciples of Jesus, we never stop learning. In one of my favourite of his books, The Great Omission, Willard says something strange has happened in churches in the last 50 years or so because he says, Jesus made it clear that to follow him means we must become his disciple. But the church has made it possible for the vast majority of those in its ranks to be Christians without becoming disciples of Jesus. He said, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be a disciple to become a Christian. One may remain a Christian without any signs of progress toward or in discipleship. For them, discipleship is optional. So, churches are filled with undiscipled disciples. Though, of course, in reality, there is no such thing. The rich young ruler saw Jesus standing there with his disciples and he approached him, but he didn't want to become a disciple, actually. He didn't want to follow, because that would mean that he wasn't leading his own life. He'd have to choose to leave and follow Jesus' path instead of his own. So he was happy to be just what we might call a Christian because he just wanted Jesus to be his teacher. As long as he agreed with the teaching and it agreed with him and affirmed his own lifestyle so he didn't have to change too much. Unless Jesus really had anything to add and make it better here on earth and of course in heaven afterwards, he wasn't that interested. You see, Jesus was just an add-on for him. So he asked, teacher, what am I missing? Because he was the man who had everything. He, didn't, he wanted to make sure he didn't miss out on anything. He already had the good life in that time and that culture, maybe even in ours. Having great wealth was a sign that you've been blessed, blessed by God. Everybody who saw him could see he was very, very blessed. And so he didn't see himself as a sinner, a bad person. We hear that from his responses to the commandments. He just wanted reassurance that he was on the right track. He was, he was going to be successful and fulfilled in his life and have everything that he wanted. And he wanted to add Jesus on to his already happy life. So he'd be sure that as well as enjoying this life, living it for himself, he'd be able to do the same in heaven too. Now, of course, we know Peter's name, but we don't know this man's name. I'm going to call him Ian, rich, young Ian, because he just wanted to tag Christ on and become Christian, Christian. Terrible joke, I know. Anyway, actually, he wanted to be first, so he probably would be more like Ian Christ, but now I'm just being pedantic. And when I read the rest of the story, it makes me ask the question, though, am I a disciple of Jesus or just a Christian, the way it's commonly meant to mean these days? And how do we know and what's the difference? And do I have to sell everything and give it to the poor? because that was the call for him. Why was it the call for him? Because the Lord knew wealth was his idol, his stumbling block. Money was most important to him and meant the most to him. So Jesus said, that's going to keep getting in your way. It's going to trip you up as you're following me if you decide to do that. So untie yourself, be free from it, free to follow me. But instead, he walked away, sad. Why was he sad? It says he was sad because he was wealthy. He thought he had so much to lose, but this rich young ruler was only holding on to what he couldn't keep anyway. We can't stay young forever. As we get older, we often lose that ability to influence others, perhaps when we stop working. And money's great, but there's no pockets in a shroud, as the old saying goes. Now, 
What gives me hope in the story is that some scholars say maybe this rich young man was not called Ian, he was actually called Mark. Yes, Mark himself, who wrote this gospel, is writing himself into the story like this to tell us how he walked away at first because the price was too high for him. His proper name is really John Mark and he became a friend of Peter too. Now, interestingly, if this actually was Mark, Scholars suggest that he wrote himself in again at the end of the Gospel without naming, without naming himself once more. When he writes about Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the armed soldiers appear, he writes in chapter 14 of Mark that everybody deserted him and fled. And then verse 51 says, A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. So, if this is Mark, and he later changed his mind and actually became a disciple of Jesus, if he joined them, and we know Mark had help in writing his gospel from Peter, then he did lose everything in the end. He had nothing left, not even his underwear. It cost him everything that he had, everything that he owned, to come and follow Jesus. But that day, on the road heading towards Jericho and then on to Jerusalem, he was not ready to be a disciple because he wasn't ready to pay the price. He's saying to himself, I just wanted to add Jesus on, but you know, there's only so much time after all. And I've got all these other projects and all these other priorities. Because he was already too busy with what mattered most to him to do what mattered to Jesus. So it says, Jesus loved him, but he watched him drive off on the latest model of camel that day. He didn't chase after him or give him another discounted option or bargain him. In bargain with him. He, he loved him, but he let him go because Jesus demands to be our first love and not even God can force somebody to love him. And then he looked at his disciples and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, which must be a challenge for you and me, the majority of us, because economically, sociologically, and in world terms, like it or not, we are on the world's rich list. If we have houses with indoor plumbing and full access to a car or education, and the danger of having those things is we put them first and Jesus second and we miss out on him because we want more of them and our decisions and priorities and plans are pulled in by the gravitational forces of this world and away from the kingdom of heaven. And so by now the disciples are astonished, scratching their heads as this successful guy rides away and they say, if somebody like him can't be saved, What's the hope for us? How can anybody be saved? Because we think being rich is the answer to our problems. And Jesus says it was the cause of Ian's or Mark's or whatever he's called. And then he answers them, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Which when you think about it, is is actually genius. It's the answer to any question about God when you think about it. Somebody says to me, hey, how can you possibly believe God made the universe? I'll say, with man, this is impossible. But all things are possible with God. <laughs> what, do you actually believe prayer could possibly make any difference in this, in this terrible situation? With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. Well, do you believe that this person or that person, that terrible person, or, or even somebody like me could be saved and become a disciple? Well, with man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. God can do anything. So, next question. It's a brilliant answer, isn't it? And why wouldn't it be? Jesus is brilliant. 
Jesus is seriously the brightest genius who ever lived and walked on planet Earth. And I think we can forget that sometimes. The early Christians knew that he was a genius, that Jesus is, they say Christ is the one in whom all treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. That's in Colossians 2 verse 3. So they figured that for everybody in every circumstance, following him really was the, the best, the most intelligent thing that you can do with your life. The offer to follow him and become like him, which is what disciples do, the chance to be more and more like him would make perfect sense and would be the best decision that anybody could ever make. Because only from Jesus will you discover the reason for your existence, the purpose for your life. And only by following him would you be able to fulfill it. Now, it's at this point in our stories, in all of these series, in the series so far, whenever there's an encounter or a miracle or an astonishing saying of Jesus, whenever Peter is there and present, something happens. What is it? You probably know by now. He does or says something ridiculous. I'm, I'm not even picking on him. I'm sure Peter would agree looking back on it because he's like that person who you can see them starting to think of something and you're like, oh no, don't say it. You get a bit nervous inside, you're thinking, oh no, this is awkward. I bet she's going to say it, he's going to say it. No, stop, don't say it. Just think it, just think it instead. Now, if you tell me that you don't know anybody like that, chances are somebody is thinking of you at this very moment. Now, guess what? Peter does not let us down. He's been holding his tongue long enough. Verse 28 says, then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. I'm not going to go on and on about that statement anymore. I'm just going to leave it kind of hanging there awkwardly. I'm pretty sure Peter felt embarrassed enough right after saying that to the one who left the glories of heaven behind to come to earth to save us by dying on a cross. So I'll focus on the answer that he received instead. And today we're focusing much of our prayer and getting information out about how you and I can be involved and serve and invite people to Festival Manchester from the 1st to the 3rd of July at Withenshaw Park where uh, the church in the city is going to go all out to reach everybody, rich or poor, young or old, with the good news of Jesus. Not just the teacher, but the saviour. Because rich or poor, young or old, everybody needs Jesus. And we're expecting, we're praying to see tens of thousands of people, just two and a half miles from where I'm standing. And before that, teams are going to head out into our schools, our youth groups, onto our streets to take part in over 200 social action projects to show and tell our friends, families, workmates and neighbours about the love of Jesus. After all the pain and loss and tragedy we've seen in the world in these last few years and the things that are going on right now, I'd love you all to consider being part of the team that brings hope and makes this the biggest outreach event our city's ever seen happen before by praying like never before for the city, praying for people to come, praying for opportunities to bring them and by volunteering, stewarding, counselling people who respond to the messages, connecting them to Ivy or a suitable partner church running or serving on a Love Where You Live project or, or Ivy's follow-up discipleship pathway courses. And I know, you're busy. You've got other, other priorities. But right now, I just want you to imagine 
Jesus is standing right there in front of you, like the rich young ruler, or even like Peter, who just talked about all that he had given up. Just imagine again, the Son of God really is there. He is there, he's there with you by his Spirit. He's coming to the world to save the world at the cost of his own life so that none should perish. He's the most important person in the galaxy. He made the universe and he's called you to join him now in the most important thing that you could do. The thing that you could only do in this life. To follow, to be a disciple. Who invites others to follow him too? Not just to be a Christian, but to put him first. Whatever else is on your list, to write Jesus at the top of every list. That's what it is to be a disciple. And those who do that find themselves before long being used by him to help others to have the same opportunity. Just, you know, Jesus is there with you right now. What, what, what would you tell him? What are you going to tell him? When he says, I want you to go full on, all in. I want everything. Yes, he says it will be hard at times, but listen, whatever you might think you have to give up, whether it's a week or a weekend, an hour of prayer, a night of serving, you'll never regret it. Those moments when you join me in my mission will be among the most significant times of your life on this planet. and You're going to celebrate them and I'll celebrate them with you forever. You'll run them through your mind a hundred times or more when this life is over. And I say, well done, good and faithful servant. What's most important about this life? We'll discover that a moment after it's gone and then you have no more chances to tell your brother or your sister, your friend or anybody else about Jesus because everybody in heaven will be there because they got the invite and said yes and they'll already know him. And you and me are going to be so glad that we prayed for people to come, to come to know Jesus or help them find him because they'll thank you a hundred times or more that you made this more important that you came to their garden or you prayed along uh, or you cleared their streets that picked up litter, that you were brave enough to invite them and their family and you ran them to hear the gospel and everything changed for them forever and ever and changed generations. Yes, there's a cost, but whatever you give, you'll be so glad forever. You'll get it all back and more and you'll be glad. And your only regret, your only wish will be that you've done more in this time. Prayed more, served more, because time is short and eternities are forever. So don't walk away sad like the rich young ruler. Stick at it and keep following like poor old Peter. You'll never regret any of it. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org slash media.